0: Welcome, and thank you for checking in at the Inner Game of Change podcast, where I focus on exploring the multi-layers of managing organizational change. My guests cover a diverse number of critical topics to enable effective and sustainable change in the workplace. My name is Ali Juman, and you're listening to the Inner Game of Change podcast. My guest today is Jawan Rinaldi, the Director of Service Delivery at Prosa ANZ. Backed up by extensive change management experience, Jawan is a passionate professional who is focused on uplifting change capabilities for teams and organizations in Australia and New Zealand. I am grateful to have Jawan sharing her knowledge and insight with me today. So, Jawan, thank you so much for joining the Inner Game of Change podcast. I really appreciate your time.
1: Absolute pleasure. Wonderful to be here,
0: Ali. Thank you so much. Um, so, Joanne, today we are going to talk about ATCA, the all-famous ATCA. But before I, we start talking about that, it will be really great to just give my listeners uh, an overview of who you are and where you are in the scheme of things within the ProSci world.
1: Wonderful. Will do. Joanne Rinaldi, I am the Director of Service Delivery for Prosite Australia and New Zealand. We are a global organisation, um, but I have the pleasure of leading the amazing consultants and contractors here in Australia and New Zealand. Our head office is based in Colorado, and we're all around the world.
0: Fantastic! And um, how long you've been with the ProSy for, uh, Joanne? You know, I've been with
1: ProSight just over six years, which I have to say, it's long-term employment. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and a fabulous six years. So yeah, it goes fantastic.
0: to say a lot about an organisation. Yeah. All right, fantastic. So I'm talking to the authority and the right person. Um, Atkar has been in the game of change management for quite a while, a very famous framework. It is within ProSci in general, but I often find that people confuse the two. And so I would like you once and for all to explain to the listeners what is a ProSci and what's ATCA? What's the, what's the relationship between the two?
1: Yeah, wonderful. And it is a question that's often asked. So ProSci is a company founded back in 1994 by former Bell's lab engineer and program manager, Jeffrey Hyatt. The word ProSci is a combination of two words, Ali, and that's professional science. So like all engineers, you break things, put it together, and that's what he did. So two words, and ProSci stands for professional science. ProSci is also known for our research and best practices in change management. So every two years since 1998, uh, we run a benchmarking study, which really gives us some amazing insights and trends in change management. Mm. ProSci's models... Like ADCAR has come from the research that we do. Tools and content for our training programs are all based on this best practices research. We have a framework, and the framework, uh, ProSci Framework, is a three phase approach prepare approach, manage change, and sustain outcomes. Mm. ADCAR is a model for supporting individuals moving through transition of change that actually is within our framework. And ADCAR was developed by studying patterns of about 700 organisations and really it's a model for understanding that organisational change happens at the individual level.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's within our three-phase framework.
0: Fantastic. I have... Um, used ADCA for quite a few number of years now. And I can, I think it will be one of those timeless frameworks that will be useful for any change practitioner and also for organizations to understand what an individual goes through in terms of change. I also believe that Atka is what can make or break a change within an organization. So the question to you is that, how important is ADKA in the whole process of change management?
1: Yeah, great question. Like, like any model, it's we do change with intention and with focus, and ADCAR is exactly that. Um, so ADCAR, awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. It's sequential but not linear, mm. and it helps individuals, it helps leaders, it helps uh, sponsors and executives help coach individuals through the process from awareness right through to reinforcement in supporting and navigating through that change. And I guess what makes ADCAR so popular is, one, it's simplistic by nature. I mean, change is already complicated enough. Why complicate it with a model that's complicated?
0: I agree.
1: So, yeah, So, and this is where ADCAR is simplistic and it's so practical. Once you understand ADKAR, then you can use it straight away in language, in process, um, and in pulse checks, planning, etc. And I think that's where with any model, if you position this simplistic enough to use it straight away and to adapt that as part of your language, then it lends itself, I have to say.
0: Fantastic. Um, and I've been thinking about something recently, which is, we work remotely now, and we manage and remotely. And uh, what's your insight in terms of using ADCA in a remote work environment?
1: It's no different, interesting enough, because okay. it's about people. Mm. So whether it's we are remote or whether we're face-to-face, uh, when it comes to change, we still follow awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. Yeah we just position this from a remote perspective as opposed to -to face-to-face. A great example where I was with a client just a few weeks ago online and we were helping planning individuals for hybrid and then return to work. And we were talking through ADCA. So in order for people to return to work, what is the awareness that we need to engage with with our people to help them understand Um, why we need to go back to work. So awareness is the why. Desire, with the conversations there was, okay, how many want to come back to work? How do we help create desire and the need to want to return and participate in returning to work? Knowledge is the how and, and understanding what will it take, the new training, how do we set people up? And ability is the application We are now doing this. So how do we help enable uh, that return to work and what will it look like in practice? Mm. And then reinforcement is, okay, how do we sustain this? That was it. So just in conversation that I've just shared with you online here today with you is how we did it online via virtual. Of course, the practical part is planning and then sharing and then working with team members.
0: Yep, yep. And and that's a great example. I, I really like it. And uh, and that talks about the universality of the of the framework that you can apply it anywhere. What's your insight on where organizations usually struggle with when it comes to ADCA? Ah,
1: great. And you know we and we call that we as in Prosci and and change practitioners that are in the field of um, Prosci certification is that we identify what's called a barrier point. Mm. So say, for example, desire is a common barrier point for individuals because it's that intrinsic, extrinsic motivator. And say, for example, I don't want to go back to -to face-to-face in the office. So therefore, I would have a barrier point, let's say, identified at desire. So my manager, as an example, would be working closely with me to identify what is my barrier point in desire Why? And how can we work together to overcome that? Mm. And that's for any individual. So any um, area within ADCA, it's about identifying where that barrier point is. And a barrier point doesn't mean it's a bad thing. For example, uh, I have team members that will be doing some training next week on a particular app that we're rolling out. And the team members' barrier points is at knowledge, which means they need the training good thing I've actually scheduled training for next week so that will help overcome the barrier point. Yeah. So this is where if there is a struggle, it's about identifying where is that barrier point and how do we need to address that barrier point to then move to the next stage, like ability as an example.
0: Yeah, And obviously you need to work out where the barrier point is. You've got a lot of tools within ProSci to help you um, um, get that. My personal experience has always been around people get confused um, between knowledge and ability. So we think we're just going to deliver the training and that is it. People will actually get it. Yeah. And, and so um, from my observation is that even if the change is good and we created all the awareness, we deliver the training and then usually they, re, they sustain the outcome piece, the reinforcement. Is the orphan in the whole process as well because we are in a hurry to move on to another project. Uh, yes. But that transfer of training, training transfer between knowledge and ability, can the change of practice community can do a better job um, in, in terms of managing that transition because, one, I know what I need to do and the second one, the ability is that I know how to do it. Is that your observation as well?
1: Oh, without a doubt. Okay. Um, that's probably the, the second most conversation that I have with a lot of clients where training, there's an assumption that, okay, training, now, you, now you're now you set up for success. Mm. The difference between training and application is knowing versus doing. Yeah. Just because I've attended training, that doesn't then guarantee that I know how to put it into practice. Um, and that's an interesting one because the ability part is the competency, is the confidence of the individual because they're still learning through applying. Yeah. And this is where that practice um, in the world of doing, that's where your learning still continues. Mm. And I'll give you a great personal example. Um, when I went to the United States a few years ago, um, I went to pick up my renter car to, um, to drive to the hotel that I was staying at. And I have to tell you, Ali, I didn't realise until... I put my bags in the car that the steering wheel was on the opposite side Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I went into the car and I thought, oh, my God, I need to drive on the opposite side of the road. Now, I know how to drive. I've been driving for a good 20 years, but I soon quickly realised in that moment I had to drive on the opposite side of the road with the steering wheel on the other side of the car. And this is the difference between I know how to drive but the ability to be driving on the opposite side of the road is where my barrier point was. Yes. So um, I had to take a lot of deep breaths and drive really slow until my confidence and my competency, my ability, started to gain. Yeah. And luckily it was in the middle of the night, there wasn't much traffic, so I was pretty safe. But by the time I got to the hotel, I had to say I had to wait a while for my heartbeat to just go back to normal. And that's the difference between knowing and, and doing yes. just because I know it doesn't guarantee I can.
0: A great example. Um, I want to ask you about resistance from your observation and from your experience. Where does the resistance usually get intensified within the, the, the ADCA uh, journey? Yeah,
1: interesting. Um, our insights in our best practices research research um, has identified employees' number one resistance, believe it or not, is lack of awareness, which is at the very beginning the why of the change. So that has really amplified and showed us that, wow, even at the very beginning is having a very clear understanding as to why the change is occurring. For managers, our uh, research insights have showed us that for managers, their number one reason for resistance is, um, is culture. Mm. This is the way we've always done here. So this is where, again, it gives us an understanding of, okay, what are the common themes? In a lot of the conversations I've been having recently, especially with the hybrid model and working offsite site and, and so forth, uh, more so the resistance has come more so with regards to desire.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, because now we're we're getting used to working from home, and there are many benefits of working from home, and I'm finding that a lot of organizations where we're working closely with are incentivizing employees to come back to work. Even if it is a hybrid model, temporary, with the long term view of maybe five days a week again, that desire seems to have really crept up lately.
0: To come back to the office? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Look, I agree. The, 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 um, one of the things, one based on my observations, anyway, even if we get the awareness and desire part of it, and by the way, the desire you don't need to love the change, but you just Correct. you just need to understand the why behind it. So that's you know, if we get you there, that's good enough. But I also noticed that the moment we train, and that's within the knowledge piece, um, when we start asking people to apply the learning, that's when also resistance. Shuts up.
1: Yeah, and that's when it becomes real. So it's during transition, mm-hmm. yeah. where the reality of change is happening, um, and our insights show us that as well too. Because when you're talking about the change, but when you're experiencing the change, it's like, oh wow, I'm not sure if I like this now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's yeah. okay when we, you and I, were talking about it, Ali, but now yeah. that I'm experiencing this, I'm having second thoughts. And this is why, although it's sequential, ADCA, it's not linear. Mm. And what I mean by that, it's so important to pulse check because um, helping create desire is also different to maintaining desire. Yes. And this is why the pulse checks and the conversations and touching in with individuals is so important. Even, say, knowledge, I'll go to a training course and then, I leave the training course and the assumption is that I'm now going to be at ability. But I know, like you, we've gone to a few training courses in the past Mm. where instead of going progressing to ability, we've gone backwards at desire thinking, oh, my God, I've got so much insight into this training, I'm not sure if I'm ready for ability. So in some cases you can go backwards and this is why it's so important to check in with individuals to ensure that they are progressing and not going backwards.
0: Yes, and um, this is really an interesting point um, because I also noticed that we get the awareness right, we get the desire right, we get the knowledge right, and people are willing to apply it. However, they put up some resistance because we have oversold the change in the awareness and the desire. So some excited person told us that, the new change is going to change our lives. And then when it comes to reality, the application is that, is that it? Um, yeah, so sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot by overselling at the awareness and desire stage. Um, and then when it comes to the reality, which is the application of it, we yeah. we realize that that's not what you sold me. You sold me a Mercedes, and now I've got a bicycle.
1: That is such a valuable point, and it's interesting because the word sell is probably where I'm hesitating right now. Um, I'll give you a great example with a few executives that I was running a session with, and we were on the topic of desire, and one of the executives um, asked me, oh, Joanne, how do we sell this change? And I said, well, that's the problem. Mm. Not all change is sellable, and the change that we were talking about at the time was not a selling change. And, I, and my reply was it's about being open and transparent about the change yeah. because not all change is sellable, so speak, but not all change, there's a personal gain. Sometimes it can be a greater picture, a greater gain for the organisation or the community depending on what the change is. Sometimes it's just legislation where the law says you have to turn right and not left now. Mm. So desire is also about acceptance to participate, uh, because it goes back to awareness of understanding. And I think that's a really good point, Ali. If we try and sell change, that at the end of this you are going to reach utopia, there may not be such thing as utopia, and this is where we are setting ourselves up for failure and resistance at the beginning Mm -hmm. because, like you said, we've oversold or we've promised something that was never going to eventuate. So going back to... Um, these executives that I was speaking with is let's be open and transparent. That's how you get trust and that's how you get commitment and desire.
0: Yes. And and I suppose this is a responsibility for the change practitioners as well is to fully understand the change, put it in simple language and that's where communication happens. Um, and, um, you know, manage manage the narrative and manage the key messaging that comes out of that and become – an advisor to the sponsors, um, and that's where, you know, that's where the investment up front needs to happen in terms of managing the change. Talk to me about the reinforcement. What's the insight telling us?
1: Yeah, so the reinforcement, this is really about sustaining change, Mm -hmm. and there are two aspects of sustaining change, and one is through reward and recognition, encouragement, and then, of course, there's also compliance, How are we tracking? How are we performing? Uh, What needs to be readjusted? And the rewards and recognition is is the encouragement because we're humans. Yes. (laughs) We like to be validated and supported and encouraged, and also it helps us ensure that, okay, I get this and this is the new world and I'm a part of this new world. Mm. And sometimes, too, it gives us an opportunity to also look back and say, okay, okay. as we are reinforcing, it gives us an opportunity to identify, okay, what else do we need to do in order to ensure that this is what long-term looks like? Because reinforcement has a direct link to culture. Yes. For example, if we are always using compliance for reinforcement, then we're creating a culture of, um, of compliance and a culture of I have to do as opposed to I want to do. So it's always intentional to look at reinforcement from two aspects, not just compliance but also that reward and recognition. Therefore, we're creating a culture and an environment that has a good balance of both.
0: Yes. You're talking about moving from compliance to commitment. So I'm committed yeah. to this change, you know, I'm... Um, I'm doing it because that right I think to do, not because somebody's holding a stick on my head. Yeah. Over my head, Correct. yes, yeah. Like what's happening with um, mandates for vaccination. Um Yeah, I wasn't
1: going to go there, but yes. <laughs>
0: I-, I needed to drop that one in there. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. And okay, in your opinion, what else do change managers or practitioners? need to do to manage the ADCA journey more effectively um, from your observation?
1: Well, I've got three tips. Uh, The first one is have a strong relationship with sponsorship and managers because they are the ones that are going to help drive ADCAR in application in the organisations. They have the relationship with the employees, so the manager, direct relationship, because they will understand the intrinsic and extrinsic motivators of the individual. Mm. The sponsors, well, they're the big picture. They they influence. They lead strategically. And employees want to hear from both. So, therefore, it's the practitioners working through managers. The second tip is introduce ADCA as a language for change. So it's a pulse check. It's a planning tool. It's a guiding tool. And... Um, and so forth, so that there helps enable change from that perspective. And the third tip is always pulse check. Check to see where people are at because we're, we're exactly that. We're humans. We can go backwards. We can go forwards, etc. And don't underestimate that everybody will be also at different journeys. Even though the change may be the same, you may have a barrier point at knowledge, Ali. I may have a barrier point at desire. And the only way to know the difference is to check in with us.
0: Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Um, you mentioned the role of the sponsor. How important is the sponsor, and where do they sit in the scheme of things within the sequence of ADCA? Yeah should they should they be should they be all the time?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, two aspects of sponsorship um, in our best practices research, um, Prosci Active and visible sponsorship Mm -hmm. has been rated number one for success. So when it comes to change success, active and visible sponsorship. And when we talk about active and visible sponsorship from an AdCar lens, it's the awareness and desire and reinforcement. So they create awareness for the bigger picture of change. Strategic, where are we going? What does big picture look like? And the desire which is to motivate and inspire individuals. And reinforcement is also to, to come back and say, this is how we're tracking. This mm-hmm. is how we, we're performing. So their role in awareness, desire and reinforcement is the parts with regards to ADCAR. The middle managers is right through ADCAR, awareness right through to reinforcement.
0: Yes. I actually get my sponsors even to open up big training sessions and workshops as well. And um, the reason is that you can never have enough of them. And the majority of sponsors are happy to open up training, especially when it comes to, you know, critical changes. And as a change practitioner, we actually, well, I advise them that you've been leading the same messaging, just reinforce it within even the training piece uh, as well. But I also, um, John, over the years, I've added another third word, which... um, So obviously I'm qualified and I'm licensed to use the process. I I actually finished my, um, and that was, by the way, that was the best investment I've ever made in 2014, I think. um, I've added a third word, so active and visible. And I added a third word, which is an advocate. Because you can show up, but you need to show me you're advocating it in different forums as well. Um, So you can show up, you can be active, you can be visible, but you need to show me some passion behind it as well you're actually a believer in the change and not just because Ali is actually giving you some talking points and you need to talk about it as well. I know you've got your framework and I know you talk about active and visible, but uh, yeah. I basically bastardized it and I added another word to it, <laughs> which is really important is that you're going to have to advocate for the change, not only within the context of the change uh, journey but even outside as well. Exactly.
1: You know, and I couldn't agree more, Ali, because it's about being genuine. Mm. So being active and visible is not a guest appearance on a show. Mm. It's because you care and you're connecting with your audience and you're being compassionate and genuine in that practice. And I couldn't agree more. Um, turning up to open because I have to and I'm looking at my watch or my phone or etc. that to me is not showing that they're genuine. So you either do it or you don't because if you do it and you're not genuine, then that's probably a more negative effect than not showing up at all.
0: Absolutely. And that's the authenticity piece um, in the whole of the leadership and the sponsorship. Is there a difference or from where you sit, do you notice a difference in the way starting change practitioners apply at CAR? to the way the experienced practitioners do that? Or does that matter at all?
1: Yeah, good question. I It comes back to confidence. Mm. Um, and I would dare say experienced practitioners tend to use it more informally as a language in between the formal use of ADCAR from an assessment and a planning perspective. Sure. Where a practitioner who is new, now I guess they still have their hands on the steering wheel so to speak, while they're getting familiar with it. And the more experienced that I can have a conversation with my team members and just based on the conversation on a change that we're going through, I can pick up where the barrier point is. I don't have to sit down and formally run an assessment, so to speak, with them yeah. simply because I've practised this enough. So I'd just say it's informal and formal is probably the key difference between an experienced and a non-experienced.
0: And I also look at it, uh, Joanne, from also, you mentioned that these uh, um, ADCAR is a linear and sequential as well. And maybe that can also be, uh, because I've worked with starting change practitioners, and they do look at ADCAR as a linear process. And maybe that's a difference as well. After a while and after applying it, you move from understanding this is not quite a linear, it's a sequential process.
1: Correct, yeah, it, Yeah. and this is where because we're human. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, yes, it is sequential, but be mindful that maybe after, say, a training event, touch base, check in with individuals mm. because you want to ensure that training has actually hit the mark with the individuals and that they haven't gone backwards, that they are and ready and progressed for ability. Um, and also, too, that, you know, the change, there are changes within change think of COVID as as an example. Now I'll go there, Ali. (laughs) So that interrupted, I would say COVID was the biggest scope creep that you could ever find on the planet.
0: Absolutely. And
1: that interrupted so much planned change, so to speak. And suddenly we had to revisit a lot of things. And that gave us an opportunity to then deep dive and say, okay, where is everybody at? Because when we were looking at particular projects or initiatives that were on the go at the time. This global interruption that, um, you know, set us all on a slightly different path, that was the opportunity to check in and see where we are, what became important, what then got reprioritized. So the ADCAR journey for many, as we were progressing, suddenly it came to a halt and it even went backwards. So this is why it's it's not just follow. A methodology, so to speak, and a pathway, which is really helpful, Mm. but it's also the opportunity to say, "Let's check in. Let's um, ensure that we are progressing. And if we're not, where where uh, do we have the barrier point? And what are the steps in order to address that barrier point?"
0: Yeah, I look at Atka as well. That um, each one of those letters or stages or um, parts of Atka you will really need a very deep level of understanding on each stage. So then you can get to the stage where you can go back and validate because even going back and validating is a skill on its own.
1: I would dare say that overall, um, coming back to the most personal one, it does come back to desire, mm. um, especially for managers working with employees because if the manager... Is coaching and supporting employees through a change. And let's say the manager doesn't have desire for this change, then how is that manager going to help create and build and work with desire for their team members if they themselves have a barrier point of desire?
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So it, it's, it's, as humans, we are complicated. Um, with an ad card it's simplistic. But it's also personal and it's that relationship that we have. And the ADCA gives us an opportunity to say, OK, well, if we are at desire, let's drill down at the elements of desire that the individual, the manager themselves, need to overcome. And perhaps even they need to go to their own one-up manager to get support in desire before they are expected to help lead others.
0: Which is really an important point you're raising here um, is that change practitioners do not lead the change. We actually okay. don't manage it. We, 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 we enable it. We facilitate it. But we need to get the leaders and the team leaders and the managers, uh, you know, ready to manage that change for their teams. And so when you talk about the awareness and desire, there are two groups that we need to look at, is the managers and their teams as well. Um, so there's an educational piece here for us to explain to the managers why certain things need to happen and why they need to communicate at certain intervals and, and how they're going to pick up on resistance and how we can help them understand where the, some intervention strategies can actually be applied in there. Because we, we should be, my philosophy anyway, um, is actually we should be on the side and, and let, let the business manage that particular change. Yeah.
1: You're absolutely right, Arlene, this is where it comes back to roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So the practitioner, as you said, enables. So the practitioner enables change through a structured approach, um, set of tools, et cetera, to help enable the change. Yep. But who actually is the front-facing role is, of course, our people leaders, yep. managers and sponsors. They actually do much of the doing. Why? Why?
0: Hi there. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more podcasts, check us out at theinagameofchange.com.au.
1: Because employees want to hear from them. Of course. Uh, And we are behind the scenes. If I think of the curtain, the metaphor, the analogy here is we enable change because we are behind the scenes of a play. But the stars of the show on the platform are, of course, going to be our managers and leaders. Mm. So in order to enable them is to help them with a structured approach like ADCA. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Is that
1: language and consistency for change?
0: And I think from my um, observation is that, um, and I think I read one of your reports, is that team members would like to hear directly from their direct manager when it comes to changes that impacts their you know, workstations, work processes and all of that. They want to hear about the why and the vision from the sponsors and the leaders. Is that still the case?
1: Without a doubt, yes. (laughs) Yes. And that comes back to that relationship and role and responsibility. Because if anyone is going to know better my motivators, it would be my one-up manager because I have that relationship with, and also operationally, they're going to know my performance and my job better than anyone else mm. because he's my leader, my manager. Yeah. And, of course, the executive, bigger picture again. So their role is to ensure that we are travelling strategically, where's our vision, where are we heading towards, et cetera. And that's what employees have said that they want to hear. I have the relationship with my one-up manager. They know operationally what I do, but they also know me as an individual to say, okay. Joanne's not on board. Let's work with Joanne. I, I, you know, we'll have a conversation. If I'm having a conversation with my CEO, there's something wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yes, yes. Unless, of course, the CEO is wanting to hear from their people. Um, um, ProSci issues, is it still yearly or a couple of years insight uh, summary?
1: Oh, we do it every two years. Every two years. So – yeah, so every two years uh, we roll out um, the survey and uh, number 11 um, we're at now. So and,
0: and so, Joanne, what would what do people, first of all, how important is that piece of research is and uh, what, what what do people expect to see in it and how they can use it?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I even recall before working for, for ProSci, I... Mm. Um, It's about data, trends, and it gives me insights and and others with regards to what's working, what's not. Mm. Uh, Am I above trend or below trend? It also helps me plan because, for example, if I know that most individuals get resistance during implementation, well, I haven't done an impact assessment yet, but at least I understand that I need to anticipate that this will be a potential for resistance so for practitioners, one, it gives great insights and expectations. For organizations is the opportunity to say, wow, are we below trend? Are we above trend? Was that, what does that mean from a change maturity perspective? Great. And it also gives you an opportunity to anticipate and apply some focus areas. And what overall, it's best practices gives a practitioner an opportunity to say, well, what does best practice look like and what can I take from best practice and introduce right practice in my organisation?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a very detailed report because it goes by industries and trends and actually applicable to Australia as well. So um highly recommend that people actually get it. And uh, if you are interested to enhance your practice and be are more valuable to the organisation you work with. I also understand that Price has got a book on Adka.
1: Sure do. So uh, we have a book on Adka which goes through awareness, right through to reinforcement, mm. with some great examples and case studies of um, each of the elements of Adka, and it's such a nice, easy read. Um, and when we roll out our certification program, like you had attended a while back, um, Ali, that was one of the resources that uh, we parted and we gave to our... I still um, have it. You still have it? <laughs> and, and again, it's it's such a great, easy read and it introduces ADCO. And I have to say, it's uh, the feedback that we get with the book. Even too, when I did my certification back in 2010, um, I had my 2010 book and it was just a light bulb moment for me. And I thought, wow. Um, I missed that thing called
0: desire. I don't know if you can see it, but I still have this.
1: Can you <laughs> see can. this?
0: Look, yes, <laughs> pencil holder, and it says "Managing Change Checklist," and it's an car. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, I still, I still, I still have it. And uh, look, it's been fantastic talking to you, Joanne, uh, about this really important topic in today's world, and also within the world of. Uh, change management. Um, at some stage, I'd like to get you back and talk more about Prosci in general as a methodology. And uh, but before I let you go, what's your key advice to the change practitioners?
1: Uh, my key advice is stay connected with mm-hmm. other change practitioners. And if you are Prosci certified, you're part of a community of practice. You're not on your own. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of change practitioners that feel like they're the only one leading a project, enabling change, etc. But you may be one person in an organisation. If that's the case, just remember there's a great community out there. Reach out.
0: Great network support is really important, um, and and keeping the connection alive. How would people reach reach you, um, Joanne?
1: Well, like most people do, LinkedIn is a good start. Mm. Um, and, of course, also go to the ProSo website, um, go to our support, um, and just reach out to us. We're quick to respond. The team are very proactive um, with everybody.
0: But, yeah, LinkedIn is a good start. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm going to put all the notes and links and contact details and and the details for the podcast. It's been pleasure and really informative to um, chat to you, Joanne, and then um, really appreciate your time.
1: Likewise, Ali, happy to do
0: this again with you. Thank you so much. Until next time, stay well and stay safe. You too. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Inner Game of Change podcast. To know more about our guests and this episode, check out the innergameofchange.com.au website and remember to subscribe. I can't wait to share with you the next episode. Until then, stay well and stay safe.